The following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers. You've been warned. No, seriously, there's spoilers and, and foul language. Yeah. Welcome to $20 Ticket, where we tell you how much we would pay to watch Face Off. My name is Kerwin, and joining me today is Jason. What up, Jason? Not much. How about you, Kerwin? I'm good, man. What are you drinking today? Just a Michelob Ultra today. Cool. Uh, also joining us is Mugga. What's up, Mugs? What's going on? It's good to be back. That's great. Uh, what are you drinking? Water. Water. Great. Pure Stater Brothers water right now. <laughs> Holly's with us today. Holly, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. What are you drinking? I am drinking a mango White Claw. Perfect. And uh, Bling's rounding out the panel today. What up, Bling? Hey, Corwin. How you doing? I'm great. What are you drinking? I'm not drinking anything, but I had a root beer earlier, some kind of sugary kind of... Gassy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, let it out, man. <laughs> All right. So today we're talking about Face Off, uh, released June 27th, 1997. It stars John Travolta, Nicolas Cage, Joan Allen, Gina Gershon, Dominic Swain, Nick Cassavetes, Margaret Cho, uh, Robert Wisdom, and Alessandro Nivola. It's directed by John Woo, written by Mike Werb and Michael Caleri. It's produced by Paramount Pictures, Touchstone Pictures, and Permit Pictures, distributed by Paramount Pictures. So before we get into behind the scenes, Mugga, why don't you hit us with the financials? So this was obviously a 90s movie, had a uh, budget of $80 million, which at the time was a lot. I read Money Wise, I don't know if you want me to say this now, but they didn't have a budget of $80 million, and Wu wanted to do the boat chase scene, and because of that, they upped it to the $80 million, I think, that he wanted to get. That's what I read. I mean, it wasn't supposed to be $80 million, and he put in the boat scene, which they filmed in San Diego, but um, because of that, they upped the budget for it. At the time, $80 million was a big deal. So I, I heard he funded some of his own money. I didn't I, read that. I, I just read, know that because of the boat scene, they upped the production budget of this film. I thought I read somewhere that he, he funded some of his own money, and then once the movie was a financial hit, like he they reimbursed him. Yeah, they recouped yeah. the money that I, he put up. I read the same thing that he had to front his own money, but I thought it was for the airport scene. No. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's the airport scene as well as um, the scene with the little kid with the headphones while yes. the shooting's going on. Yes, yeah. because like, the, the, they were like, this is taking way too long to shoot and it makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. Um, it Number one, opening weekend, I think it made, yeah, roughly uh, 23 million. Um, domestic overall had 112 million. Foreign was 133, putting it as 245. Um, million worldwide. So a very successful movie in the 90s. Um, there is a lot of movies that were also out at the time. This is in theater when it was number one. No one wants to guess 97. 97 is Titanic, Was it right? Batman Titanic and Robin? Was not a, Batman and Robin is one of them in there. That was number three. Con Air came out. Con Air was five. Stay so cool, you have, you have two Nick Cage films <laughs> in, you know, on the, on the charge. Summer, yeah. um, Hercules is number two. Mm. Um, you got Jurassic Park, Lost World. Love it. Liar, Liar. Um, Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. Oh, we oh, had my best good. friend's wedding, too. Yeah. Oh, so, um, and then I have this one. It was out for eight weeks, but The Fifth Element as well. Ooh. So, wow. so it was it was a good time that for was movies. A great I think. Summer. Yeah. Wow, that's a really good so, year. Yeah. Um, I would like to get into it at the end of the show, but I have Nick Cage movies ranked uh, money wise, and we'll get into where you're. Fi- I don't know, just just an idea. But if you guys were interested in that, I have where this ranks along with all those other movies. But but yeah, two hundred forty five million dollars, very successful. Um, only cost eighty to make, and uh, yeah, that's the financials. All right, Jason, uh, tell us what the people thought of this movie. So for Rotten Tomatoes, uh, critics, uh, 92% of them liked it. So I was, I, was, I was surprised by that. Yeah. Well, what, okay, what did Con Air get? What did The Rock get? Like, uh, I think Con Air was in the 50s. What did we say, 56 or 50? Con Air was like 58, 56%. And then I think we looked up The Rock and it was 66%. So Jesus. this definitely exceeds both of those movies. 
Yeah, I, well, I even saw Siskel and Ebert, as they were around at 97, right? They gave it three out of four and like really rated it high as well. I mean, I, I saw that too. The average rating was 7.9 out of 10. What? And that, that's for the critics. It's got great ratings. Yeah. <laughs> did they watch this movie? I think they did because it's I think they saw it multiple movie. times. Yes. <laughs> and, it, and the rating went up each time. And then the audience, 82% of them liked it uh, with an average rating of 3.99 out of 5 with 450,000 votes. Um, I didn't know this about Rotten Tomatoes, so this is something new. Um, for the audience, tomato meter, uh, the percentage of users who rate it 3.5 stars or higher is a like. So that's how they get that 82%. So it's not necessarily like a like or a dislike for the audience. Mm-hmm. For the audience portion, it's if they rated a 3.5 or higher. So 82% of them did that. So just so you guys know. It's like okay. a pass-fail kind of. It's like C's kind get of. degrees. So that's like 70%. Yeah. Sure. yeah. IMDb, they voted it a 7.3 out of 10 with 327,000 votes. I looked up some of the demos. They're all around the same. There was like 29,000 votes for a 10 out of 10 there was over 20,000 votes for a 9 out of 10. Um, but again, the majority, the mean was a 7. So that's where it kind so, of... So you're saying that female demographic that we always talk about didn't so the female, curve the vote? So again, <laughs> we, when we take a look at that IMDb, it's kind of, I don't know, it's not really right on because, like, again, we look at the highest demo was, again, 18 and under female, and they gave it an 8.1. But again, there was under 15 votes. And there's a total of 327,000. So it's like, that's not really a, a fair assessment of the movie, I don't feel. That's why I didn't really get into it. They were all hovering around the same. They were definitely the highest, but I mean, when we're taking 12 votes compared to 327,000, it's not really fair. Yeah. Just one quote that I got from a critic off of Rotten Tomatoes, too. It just I thought it was interesting. It says, what really makes Face Off tick, what sells the movie more than anything else, are the dazzling performances from the two leading men. I have to agree with that. I do. I oh, agree. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Dazzling yeah. is uh, I, yeah. the correct word also. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I like that they use dazzling, but I also like that that's what they highlighted was the two performances. We can get into that later, but that's all I got for, for the ratings. All right. So let's get into behind the scenes. Uh, so let's talk about the development of Face Off. Uh, Face Off was originally developed in uh, 1990 by writers Mike Werb and Michael Kaleri, uh, who also worked on 2001's Tomb Raider and The Mask. Um, so Die Hard 2 had just come out that year and the writers knew that every studio was looking for that kind of movie to be their next hit. So the two writers partnered up to start writing. According to a 2017 shortlist article slash interview with one of the writers, early versions of the script took place in the future and included flying cars, homeless people living on the Golden Gate Bridge, and chimpanzees that carried out manual labor. How do you guys feel about this movie potentially being set in the future? Trash. I think it would have been more believable. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, I also read it too, that they wanted the majority of the movie to be focused at the prison too. So I don't know. I like the way that John Woo and the team went with it, but yeah, I don't know if I would enjoy it as much in the future personally. I'm just saying when you do it in 1997 and then you have like the computer programs that have like the Oregon Trail font, but then with like pictures embedded in it, I would give it a little bit more credit if it was a little bit more futuristic. But since you center it in 1997 and you're watching it in 1997, you don't have the technology and it's it's bizarre. I guess. Adds a little Monkeys bit of... Monkeys doing manual labor. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> did you want it to be that way? Or no. no? Okay. <laughs> All right. So um, one of the reasons the early versions of the story were set in the future was because face swapping wasn't a thing yet. So the only reason it was really even set in the future was because they wanted to look for a reason to make face swapping more believable. 
and I guess that's the only reason why that kind of flew with the two writers. Um, but eventually they finished their script and the two writers uh, initially sold their story to Warner Brothers. So Warner Brothers at the time was also making Demolition Man and they felt that face-off was way too similar so they halted the development because of the whole futuristic aspect of it. What I read and what I heard is that WB turned it down because there's the scene where John Travolta sleeps with the wife. Eve, yeah. Like Castor Troy sleeps with the wife and they considered that rape because mm. she's sleeping with a guy that's not actually the guy and that WB wanted to remove that scene which is why they didn't green light the movie and which is why Paramount was able to pick it up. Um, so Warner Brothers left the movie in development hell and they sat on the script for 18 months before the rights expired and it went to Paramount. Paramount bought the rights thanks to producer David Permutt. The first director attached to this movie was Rob Cohen, who did uh, Fast and the Furious, the first XXX film, Stealth, and The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Shout out Jet Li. Um, but he dropped out to make Dragonheart because Face Off was still in development or on hold at the time. One of Rob Cohen's ideas was actually ending the film with Caster Troy and Sean Archer teaming up to disable the bomb, uh, with Paramount even introducing the idea uh, of the bomb becoming sentient at some point during the film. Yeah. Yeah. Another director looked at uh, for Face Off was uh, Marco Brambia, who also directed Demolition Man. Uh, he wanted to make the cast much younger, and Paramount was trying to get Johnny Depp to become a movie star at the time, so they really tried to put Johnny Depp in this movie. Nick Cage was also attached to the movie at this time, and the studio only agreed to include Nick Cage in the movie only if Johnny Depp could star opposite him, but Johnny Depp turned it down. According to one of the writers, Johnny Depp thought the movie was about hockey and passed on the role. And uh, ironically, Michael Caleri had to meet with studio heads to justify the slash using the title of the movie. And he convinced them by saying that if they don't include the slash, people will think it's about hockey. Um, what do y'all think about the slash in the title? I agree with it. Don't you? I mean, face off is a term for hockey, literally, you know? I mean, so I like that they did that. I mean, I had a problem just by trying to do research on this film. If you don't put the slash, you will get a lot of other stuff. You just type in face off, you know? So, so I don't know. I, I like it. It doesn't bother me. And I mean, it's whatever. Yeah, I'm down for like the stylized uh, title and whatnot. But um, after Johnny Depp left, uh, Marco Brambia dropped out. Uh, so about four years later, Mike Werb and Michael Caleri watched The Killer, John Woo's famous and very influential film, and they said to themselves, yo, we have to get John Woo to direct our movie. Little did they know, John Woo had already read the script and liked it. Um, after receiving the script, John Woo chose to set the futuristic movie as close to the present as possible so that he could focus more on character as well as the more psychological elements of the story. In a 1997 interview with Spliced, John Woo says, quote, Audiences want to see real feelings and real people, end quote. Uh, regarding the original face-off script, he says, quote, the first draft was frustrating. I told the studio I love the concept, but I want more character, more humanity. If there's too much science fiction, we lose the drama. So Wu had the writers rework it with all the effects-heavy sci-fi stuff removed, and he's also the one that came up with the murder of Archer's son in order to justify why Archer's so obsessed with Caster Troy, even willing to go through with the face swap in the first place. Regarding kind of, you know, Archer's obsession, the carousel scene was actually supposed to appear in the middle of the film instead of the beginning, but John Woo fought to have it move to the very beginning. Do you think that moving that carousel scene to the middle of the film would have been as impactful? No. No, no because you, then you don't really have a, like a motive for why Sean Archer's trying to catch, you know, catch choice. It's deep and personal because 
killed his son. So I think that's that was smart to keep it at the beginning. So if they don't have the carousel, they start off immediately with him setting off the bomb and then chasing him on the airport, and you really don't have the reason why other than it's cop against a villain, right? I mean, I kind of like it at the front. Yeah, because yeah, I think, like, where would you even, like, insert that? You kind of just hit the audience over the head with it all of a sudden, yeah. like, if it's not at the beginning. Yeah. And then you don't have much time to show them, like, face swapping and all that kind of stuff either. Like, you're going to, if it's in the middle of the movie, then what, you, what do you have, 45, 50 minutes then to play around with this as opposed to when we show it at the beginning, you have the whole rest of the movie to show motive, it building up, them swapping faces, you know. So I, I think at the beginning was perfect. Well, I was going to say from an emotional aspect too, like losing a child, like I don't think you immediately go into like action hero mode. Like you need to mourn the loss of your child. So I feel like that's why they showed it and then kind of fast forwarded six years, which is a, I would say like a socially acceptable time to like, you never lose, you never get over mourning loss of a child, but that's enough to like kind of have that revenge plot in place. So if you did that in the middle of, in the middle of the movie, it would totally derail everything. Yeah. And I think to kind of get into everybody's points about motive and stuff and you know, the plot, I feel like Archer's marriage is failing because of his obsession. Like yeah. his relationship with his daughter is failing. His relationships with people is failing. His coworkers, his, uh, was it Lazaro is failing because of his obsession. So I think if you don't set the stage for that obsession, like none of this movie makes sense. And like to your right. point, Jay, if you insert it in the middle of the movie, like where do you do it? Because once they swap faces, this movie is just like 90 miles per hour. So getting into casting, uh, Face Off was originally written with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone in mind, uh, with Stallone as Sean Archer, and Arnold as Caster Troy. Um, so guys, before we get into all the other people involved in this, like, what do y'all think about Stallone Schwarzenegger in this movie? There's no way this would work. Especially since you see Travolta and Cage in it, I think they're just both great for the part. I, I don't know if I would have... Yeah, I think even just even from physically, a, like a physical, yeah, physically, yeah. There's, there's yeah. a clear height difference between. First of all, Stallone. Physically. What, is, what is Stallone? I think he's is he like, like five eight or Stallone's a short guy and really short. Arnold's tall. Yeah, Arnold's so, got to be six two, six three, six yeah. four. I thought he was six three. Yeah, six, yeah. and then I think Stallone, I want to say, is hovering between five six and five eight. Oh, he's a short guy. Yeah. Okay, we're not heightists on this podcast. All right, <laughs> all right. He's vertically challenged. I don't know what do you want to say. It's compact. I mean, for, hey, Holly, don't get short with okay, us. Okay, so Arnold <laughs> Arnold is 6'2". I'm going to see what Stallone is. I thought he was taller than that. No. It's I'm, saying Stallone's 5'10". So, I mean, it could be. Four-inch difference. Four-inch yeah. difference, yeah. Okay, so Travolta's 6'2", and then Cage is 6 feet. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, and, and in a inches. film, they said they're both 6 feet. So much more believable. Just the two yeah. inches right there. Yeah. But you know who else is 6 feet now that I Googled this? Uh-oh. Tom Hanks. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I got like really excited. I was just like, Tom Cruise? I was like, oh shit. No, we all know how tall Tom Cruise is because yeah. I was an asshole. All right. So um, other people uh, considered uh, for the lead roles were uh, Michael Douglas, who eventually became a producer, right? Yes. I saw that. I was the wondering producer. if it was the same Michael Douglas. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. So I think once the movie landed at Paramount and he was approached to star in it, I don't know what happened. Maybe just while it was in development or on hold, he dropped out of the project, but still stayed on to produce. And I guess he's produced a bunch of other films. I just looked up uh, Michael Douglas's production. Oh, I was doing the same thing, dang uh, it, okay. uh, It's some interesting ones. Uh, Radio Flyer, he was an executive producer on that, but he did do some 91s, Double Impact and Face Off in the 90s, he executive produced those. Actually, he says he was a co-producer for Double Impact, according to IMDb. Um, There's a couple other ones I really don't know, but he's got like 26 that he was an executive producer of. He also did some stuff on TV, too. So it's, yeah, pretty interesting. Get him. Yeah. 
So yeah, other people uh, were Jean-Claude Van Damme, Harrison Ford, Bruce Willis, Alec Baldwin, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Steven Seagal, and uh, at one point, Patrick Swayze was considered uh, to be a star in this movie. What? Yeah. Yeah. I also read somewhere that they even toyed with the idea of having an African-American lead alongside like Nick Cage. I read that too. But I think <laughs> they got nervous about putting someone in blackface. Yeah, and away they didn't from mention idea. any actors, but I, I'm surprised that they, they, I mean, yeah, you can go that route, but I mean, I think you'd have to take into account that. You yeah. gotta explain yourself a little <laughs> yeah. bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so any one of these actors you would like to see in this movie, and if you could have like two actors face off in this movie, who would they be? Like in 1997 or now? 1997, now, whatever. I could see Bruce Willis as like one of the parts, maybe even like a Castor Troy, maybe. I see Jason Statham. I think he do all Mm. a lot of his own stunts. Yeah, that's true. That's Um, I don't know his height wise, so it it really have to be believable. So they'd have to be paired with someone that's roughly the same height. I can see like. We come back to this at the end. I want to marinate on this (laughs) for a little while because I'm gonna. I'm like thinking in my head. I'm like, who could be like a good action person, but who is like physically specimen wise would be good. Yeah. All right. So. Uh, getting into Nick Cage and John Travolta, Nick Cage was in talks to star in the movie for a while, even before John Woo was hired, but he actually turned down the role of Caster Troy because he didn't want to play the villain. Uh, he did change his mind, though, once he found out that he'd be the protagonist most of the movie because of the face swap. Uh, John Travolta had such a good time working with John Woo during Broken Arrow, he was already sold on working the director again on Face Off. According to Michael Caleri, uh, John Travolta invited the writers to his house to talk about his notes on the script. They were afraid that the uh, more implausible aspects of the story were going to be discussed. They were kind of afraid that like he was going to break down their movie and potentially drop out. But all he really wanted to talk about was the line where Troy, uh, Caster Troy, as Archer, says Archer has a ridiculous chin. So clear- <laughs> That's what he chose to That's speak what about. He of to all t- the <laughs> bullshit in that script, he chose his chin. Well, yep. you, yeah, he, you only get one chin in this life. You know, he wanted to talk about it. Yeah. So Kaliri said that they had to reassure him that this wasn't an attack on him. And they told him, quote, the joke is that you're such a famously handsome person that saying that anybody would complain about looking like you, that's the joke. Nicolas Cage doesn't understand how good looking he now is with your face on. Holy shit. That's like telling someone like, no, like I need you to vacuum because you're so great at vacuuming. You do such a great job. Yeah. So according to Kaliri, he said like they kind of had to massage his ego a little bit. And if you read a lot of articles um, after the release of the film, John Travolta does do interviews where he says like, yeah, the joke was my idea. I thought it was hilarious because, you know, Archer is so good looking and the bad guy can't stand to wear his face which is kind of funny after the fact when yeah. you kind of do that dive. But um, When the actors uh, met the producers and writers, Michael Caleri describes Cage as being a very kinetic, uh, emotional, and visceral. Travolta was the more even-tempered person. Uh, Nick Cage was the more athletic person who definitely was a little comfortable uh, around firearms, uh, while Travolta was more of a family man who took time to listen to people and kind of address his issues and things in conversation. Uh, Cage and Travolta, they spent two weeks together going over the mannerisms of the characters they would both be playing and mimicking because they got to play each other and they got to play themselves playing each other, I guess. Going further into casting, Mark Wahlberg was actually offered the role of Pollux Troy, but he turned it down. Do you guys know for whatever reason why? Or? I didn't even know he was up for it. Yeah. yeah. No, I, 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 I've read that, but I couldn't find out why. Yeah. Um, well, at the time, 97, what was Mark Wahlberg doing? Calvin, come out Calvin Klein commercial. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't think he, I don't think he was Calvin a mainstream Klein actor ads. yet. That's so. true. Yeah, he was still Marky Mark back yeah. then. In the Funky Bunch. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
it was Gina Gershon and uh, Nick Cassavetti's idea to include that incestual kiss in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, because I saw that. This was a question. I was like, aren't they brother and sister? And I was like, am I, are my lines crossed here? Like I had to rewind the movie like another time to like see what the fuck was just happening. I was just like, she doesn't have a significant other. And we just learned that that's her brother like five minutes ago. Yeah. And and that kiss lingers. No, that kiss was like passionate AF. Like, yeah. Yeah, so I guess that was their idea to do it because they wanted to show how twisted these guys were as like kind of being associated with Caster Troy. I thought there was a theory too that the son was like a product of a three. This was like deleted dialogue. I read the same (laughs) thing. Yeah, like the narrative was supposed to explain somehow that uh, there was a threesome between Caster Troy, uh, Um, Dietrich, and Sasha, and the son was the outcome of that threesome. It, this is a real theory? No, yeah. it was deleted it's, it's dialogue. Deleted dialogue. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was yeah. supposed so to be a whole scene, but yeah. like... Yeah. I'm the, glad they took that yeah. out. Yeah. Right? No, I mean, the the kiss was like jarring enough. Yeah. I can't even yeah. imagine like them going into like three-way dialogue of like, this child is a result of a three-way gone south. Imagine. Yeah, like... No. Yeah, I think the kiss was more than enough. More yeah. than plenty. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> more than to make me feel uncomfortable and <laughs> yeah. shift in my seat. Yeah. Um, according to IMDb, uh, Cassavetes, who plays Dietrich, uh, he wrote a lot of his own dialogue for the film and even uh, surprised John Woo on set by shaving his head. So him being a bald character was his idea. On the flip side of that, uh, Gina Gershon pitched the idea to have a shaved head to John Woo, but John Woo wasn't feeling it. Yeah, Her with a shaved head? Yeah. yeah. I read that too. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. uh, Margaret Cho uh, is one of the FBI agents in the movie, uh, but that role was originally supposed to go to Chow Yun-Fat, uh, who actually starred in uh, John Woo's movie, The Killer. He didn't make it into the film because of contractual obligations. Also, apparently, um, for what I've heard from like other podcasts, was that Wu's kids were like fans of Margaret Cho, yeah. and they like begged him to put her in the movie. So that's how she ended up in that role. Um, Joan Allen joined the film because she always wanted to be in an action movie with lots of bullets in it. And uh, also, according to IMDb, the studio wanted to go with somebody younger and make Eve more of a stepmother character, but John Wu actually had to fight to keep Joan Allen in the movie. So is it just me or does she seem, I don't want to say older, but she seem, she does seem she seems older. She out than, of place. Yeah, like, this is not her time. movie. She seems yeah. out of place the yeah. whole time. I don't really think John Travolta or her have any chemistry even None. when he's supposed to be Sean Archer. It's just, yeah. it's really awkward, you know? Yeah. Like She's just the mom from Pleasantville and I just kept thinking that in my head. I said that out loud. Thing. I'm like, yeah. she's the mom from Pleasantville. And my mom was like, yeah, she is. And like the whole time I'm trying to put her in this place as like a serious doctor, like middle America, like try, I'm trying to like put that on her, but she's just like... But the, are they, one. But are they supposed to not have a connection or she's supposed to be odd because she's just so frustrated that Sean Archer is so like just surrounded on getting Castro Troy right. and yeah. that's what he encompasses his whole life about and that's why is that what they're trying to show or is it just like they just don't have chemistry well, I don't I think I, oh, I thought the same thing I was yeah. gonna say I was like I thought like once he like once Castro Troy was John Travolta I guess once Sean Archer's body was Castro Troy and he started like reading her diary and like getting into it and dressing all the concerns that she presented that she would actually like come alive like oh my gosh you're doing all the things that I wanted you to do like you're actually paying attention to me but it wasn't like that like there was still zilch chemistry and it was bizarre because you think in someone who's been married to a guy for that long and noticed that much of a like a shift in their personality like she would point it out a little bit more and feel the heebie-jeebies but it wasn't until Nick Cage as Sean Archer was like this isn't your husband like then all of a sudden the pieces clicked I would think from a spouse you would notice that early on like right away you would notice. Like, what are you doing? There, like, there are a couple weird family dynamics at the end of this movie, too, that I'll 
talk about, but including that one, it's just the dynamic between the family, especially between them two, is just really odd. Yeah. But I will say this though, I think I can kind of give this movie a pass just because he's been so distant from his family and now their whole world is shifted. Like they finally got the guy that killed their son, right? Yeah. Like so like maybe a shift in personality, however immediate might not be so jarring that she doesn't think it's somebody else. Well, and also he comes home after they quote unquote have him in the coma. But um, he tells her, Eve, it's over. It's done. We got him. You know what I mean? He's already on that. Yeah. So it's almost like, hey, everything now we can shift our, you know, like lives together. So I think I kind of I kind of agree with you on the past thing. I I don't give it a pass for that reason, (laughs) because he was he was very like we got him. And it was like this this like sensual moment, whereas like the subsequent time that he seemed after he was on his like training in Georgia or wherever he was he's like outright sexual. Like it's not sensual. It's not like we did it. We got him. Like we avenged our son's death, but he's just like, hate to see you go, but love to see you walk away. Like yeah. he's just like, we going to talk about that. Yeah. Ass dude. Like they zoom into her ass and it's just like, what? Like yeah. it's yeah. cool. Like he's just like a different, it's a different level. And mm-hmm. I would just be like, what is wrong with you? And she does it briefly. But there's no like, there's no development with her character for her to be like, this isn't my husband. Something happened to him or something changed or something did it. And I would have liked to see a little bit more of that. Okay, so quick question. Would any of y'all ever assume that somebody's wearing your loved one's face though? Like would that that thought ever occur to you that this could be a totally different person? No. I mean, no, no. no. Okay. I mean, prior to this movie, no. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, now I would assume. Now we know it's a yeah. real possibility. But I, you know, I just, I, I, I just like this movie. Well, <laughs> I'm just I'm making notice excuses. a shift in no. your partner. Oh like, yeah. I think, I think that's something where you got to be like, yo, maybe we should go to like therapy or something right. and figure out why you're like this all of a sudden. Yeah. But well, yeah. it's like really high highs, really low lows, and it's just like because he does say that he's it's done, it's over. You're right. Yeah. But then he comes back later that night and is like. I got one more mission I got to go do. And then she's super bummed again. So it's not like that's how it was left. I don't know. So I don't know if I give it a pass either. But I mean, I can overlook it, but I still feel like they could have done a better job. Yeah, and I, this I agree isn't with the both most improbable part of the movie, no, so we'll no, keep it for no, sure. Yeah, like, we're gonna compare here. <laughs> we're gonna compare. This yeah. is yeah. a small this. apple yeah. in the large. Like this is this is one plot hole in a grand canyon of plot holes. <laughs> so all right, so let's move on to filming. Uh, Mike Werb and Michael Caleri were paid to be on set at all times because, according to Caleri. Quote, I think people recognize that they couldn't rewrite this script without potentially really fucking it up, end quote. Um, I think if you tried to modify the script mid-shoot, like things would make even less sense. But I guess because these guys wrote it and they were so close to the the material that they created, it's kind of a benefit to have the guys there that wrote it to be there. Um, Nick Cage, he ad-libbed a lot during filming. There's a scene where Cage and uh, Nivola, who plays uh, Pollux Troy, uh, they ad-libbed a scene where they talk about why and how they became criminals. Apparently, there's a scene where the dialogue includes um, what drove them to become criminals was that their father would make them wear pink dresses when they were little. Um, the writers made sure that this was cut from the movie. So it's good to have them uh, on set to take notes and shit. Um, they cut it from the movie because they felt that it would make their background too humorous and they wanted them to be taken somewhat seriously. I'm glad that was cut too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The line where, <laughs> the line where, I'm sorry, the line where Nick Cage says that he wants to take Archer's uh, face off in the scene with Dietrich <laughs> uh, was actually completely ad-libbed and not in the script. 
according to Kaliri, Cage and uh, Cassavetes, um, they just went back and forth about 20 times saying face off in their dialogue. And each time they would change their delivery and physicality each time yeah. to the point where like people were just like laughing apparently. <laughs> and somehow that stayed in the movie. How do y'all feel about the title being in this movie? Because I love it. I hated it. I, I even said this to you guys earlier. I was like, I hate it when a movie says its title within I mean, the movie. It's just not the, I, like for me, it's just. There's a broken record too. Yeah, yeah. It's for me it's an artistic you know. choice that I don't choose to subscribe to. So, but you loved it, Bling. I I thought it was like okay, it fit the context because you know he's trying to pretend he's you know Caster Troy, and you know he's kind of teetering like how do I play his role? And so he's got to portray that he's sadistic. So like him saying I want to take his face off is something. If someone ever said that, you're you're like what? Like, you want to take his face, face off? off? Yes. And then he just. <laughs> And, and then, then they, they do the whole gesture with their yeah. hands. You can't yeah. see us. We're all doing it right yeah. now. <laughs> it's like Shakespearean. I love it. So I think it really fit the moment because he's trying to convince people that it's really him and that he really is the same sadistic guy. And I think that that line delivery really hits the mark. So I liked it. I agree with you. Typically, I think it's cheesy, but in the context of it, where it was used, I think it fit the film. Like it would have been better if he was like, I want to take his face. And then he'd be like, you want like you're missing you something wanna, right there. You want to you wanna take his face? Like, yeah, I want to take his face. Like Off or out on a date? Like Out on a date, baby. I heard he eats peaches for hours. I could eat a peach for hours. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, during that whole face-off scene, uh, Michael Caleri says, uh, quote, it was at that point where we were worried that Paramount was going to change the title of the film because it came off so corny. Yes. Yeah. Did you hear what they were going to call the movie in the original script or no? What were they going to call it? Birdman of Alcatraz in the Future. Jesus. I read that. Catchy. Yeah. yeah. It's like a it's like a Miyazaki film or so something. So I'll go with face off and I'll have them say face off 1200 times in the movie. I'm good with it. Yeah. Um out of all the absurdities, uh the over the over the top acting and the action scenes, the writers were really nervous about the success of the movie. Uh, Michael Caleri says that he uh, he actually backed out of buying a home in Beverly Hills at the time because he was paranoid that the movie was going to flop super hard. But since the movie's success, he says he hasn't been broke since that movie came out. And uh, everything he has now is because of this movie. So Humble brag. I, you know, I mean, like he took his bid out on a house because he was afraid like this movie was going to suck. Like he saw what a lot of people say about this movie, what, 20 years later, you know? Yeah. And it was a 92%. So. Yeah, and it's, he wrote it. So, I mean, <laughs> I guess... Um, the movie took six months to shoot with the cast and crew working even through the holiday season. On Christmas Day, they were still negotiating John Travolta's deal because he signed on to do the movie without knowing how much he would even get paid. Nick Cage's stand-in, Marco Curis, uh, came with him to film Face Off immediately after completing Con Air. Um, he says it was uh, the most exhausting film on earth. I think the last day of uh, Con Air rapping, Nick Cage and his stand-in, like, I guess, flew to the set of Face Off and were immediately shooting that movie the very next day. So that's how they were so close together, huh? Yeah. Wow. Even though John Woo talks a lot about character, for a lot of the dialogue scenes, John Woo would usually just do like a single take, uh, even when the actors wanted to do more. So he had like the George Lucas method, where wow. he okay. just like shoot and cut. Um, he'd even sometimes play soft, sad music before emotional scenes to get people in the mood, which is <laughs> his thing, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, and I think it was John Travolta didn't need to. He said, I don't need this music. And he would, he would actually get his takes right on the first time. So Yeah. Didn't they call him like One Take John or something yeah, like one that? Take, yeah, One, one, take, one, one yeah, take John. Yes. Yeah, it's better than One Minute John, right? Hey. hey. 
We love you, John. Um, Paramount gave John Woo a lot of freedom with this movie, kind of like you're, you were talking about the budget mugs earlier. Yeah. Like, so I think this movie was the movie that he had the most freedom on, and you kind of compare that to Mission Impossible 2, where we talked about how like he faced a lot of pressure from the studio to do right. things a certain way or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this movie, he really got to do whatever the hell he wanted, especially with the action scenes. Uh, the boat scene alone took four weeks to shoot. One of the gunfights took two weeks to shoot. I'm not sure which one. Uh, the plane runaway sequence, as well as the fight on the speedboat, were supposed to be shot on a green screen, but ended up being filmed practically to preserve the realism of the action. When the plane crashed into the hangar at the beginning of the movie, they only had one shot to get it right because they were actually using a, a real, real plane. plane to destroy, yeah. Yeah, according to IMDb, uh, they filmed the plane crash with like 13 cameras yeah. from all different angles to capture that crash. Just because you're talking about the the plane crash and all that, I was reading on IMDb that that actually took place at, they used to call it Victorville Airport, and it's actually called now Southern California Logistics Airport, which is in Victorville, California. Is it really? Yeah, that's oh, what wow. I read on IMDb, I so I thought, I don't know, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I have something about the script. Something that I read is how they were going to put Castro Troy in a coma. Like they were, because you get the famous one where it's the jet engine, and it's yeah. like, I don't know how you don't Jesus. burn his face through that, yeah. but whatever. But um, I had they had other ideas of him falling off the control tower, um, liquid nitrogen, and there was another one, I can't find it through my notes, but I feel like us five could come up with a better way than what they showed <laughs> or their ideas of him going into a coma. I mean, what do you think? You know, it's like, that's what you came up with, you know? Like, I don't know. That, that was just kind of interesting to me. But. Yeah. He got hit by a fucking pod race engine. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the only thing that happened. Um, I read, yeah, for the most part, the studio didn't really interfere too much. It kind of gave yeah. John Woo uh, full control. I think there was only one thing they, they were adamant about not having uh, was the beginning scene where Sean Archer's son gets shot. I think they wanted that to be a little more graphic, like actually show him. Wait, the studio it. wanted it to be graphic? No, the John Woo. Oh, John I, Woo. that was pretty. No, but John Woo, like you don't see this. Scene, yeah, you yeah. don't see the son getting, like you don't see any blood or bullet wounds, but I think John Woo wanted it to be a little more graphic and the studio said no. Okay. I was adamant about that. So I was going to get into this later, but <laughs> let's just get into it now. Yeah. Um, so for that scene, uh, John Woo actually told Travolta to imagine that his own son was being killed. Oh, I know yeah. where you're going with this. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, uh, Travolta's son, uh, Jet Travolta, actually like passed away in 2009, which is kind of, kind of, yeah. yeah, that kind of sucks. Oh, this is awkward. <laughs> Yeah, so John Woo talks about his trademark style in the 1997 Splice interview, and he specifically talks about a lot of the face-to-face standoffs, you know, where people got guns pointed at each other. The face-to-face standoff was apparently first used in the movie The Killer. Woo feels like this type of standoff represents a balance in humanity. He says, quote, the standoff is my trademark. In my theory, I always feel no one is perfect in this world. There is no real good guy or bad guy in this world. You can see yourself in the bad people. The bad people can see themselves in the good people. So that's why I created the movement of the standoff scene. No matter if it's a good guy or a bad guy, they're all equal, end quote. <laughs> I mean, he addresses one of his wooisms, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, like, what do you guys think about the standoffs? It's one of my treasures. <laughs> I like it. I mean, I don't I like them. I, I like them too. People just run out of bullets at the most <laughs> opportune times. I, I, I was also read that John Woo himself has never shot a gun. Yeah, yeah I, read I read that, that too. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, he's never shot a gun. He's never shot a gun. Didn't he have like he had one of the guys like make him one like the stunt people like make him a wood one or something like that? I think I read that too. But they were talking about just all of the action sequences and they like really highlighted that he in fact has never even shot a gun himself. I thought that was really weird. That's pretty ironic. It's the what do you say the ballet of violence. 
that he does. <laughs> oh, God. I got one other thing. Um, actually, two other things. For the success of this movie financially, but did you also know that it was nominated for an Oscar? It's got to yes. be for like editing yeah. or like sounding. Sounding. Best sound effects. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. It did lose, yeah. though. It lost to Titanic. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah. I was going to say um, 1987 and was then the year of Titanic. Obviously, we've discussed that Paramount uh, was had the rights to it. It was their first movie they ever released on Blu-ray. Yes. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. So, so interesting things, but yeah. Well, I read the composer, John Powell. I don't know if you touched on this, Kerwin, but it was his first movie he composed. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what I read, too. So I think for his first movie, he did a pretty good job, too. Yeah. We'll get into Trash or Treasure, but I think the score is... For his first movie. Kind of good. Yeah, there, good. There's parts. Yeah. There's parts that we can discuss. Oh, yes. <laughs> we'll yeah. definitely get into that shit for sure. All right, so let's get into uh, our experiences with this movie. Jason, tell us your experience with Face Off. So I didn't watch this in theaters because I think at the time I was 11. So um, uh, my mom wouldn't let me watch this in theaters. So I watched it at my dad's house. Uh, he got the DVD. Again, I think Con Air came out before this. So I remember kind of coming right off of that movie, enjoying it. I already know Muggs is going to shake his head at me for that. <laughs> but I remember coming out that movie, really enjoying it. So I was like kind of hyped for this. I think even at the time, I was a little confused about the title, too, because I had seen some other hockey movie recently, so I wasn't sure what this was going to title. It was entirely... a Jean-Claude Van Damme one, wasn't it? Like, what was that called? Uh, and he's, like, fighting some yes. villains yeah. at a hockey game. Like, sudden so... impact or... Sudden death. Sudden, sudden death. death, yeah. <laughs> so, like, I was kind of confused seeing this, and, like, from the poster, you just see, like, both their faces and not, not much else. So right. I didn't know what it was going to be about. But again, so, yeah, I just watched this. Uh, he, he bought, I think, the DVD of it. I remember thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, I thought for the time, I must have watched this early 2000s. So I thought the technology was kind of cool. I think at the time it kind of kept up with the CGI that they did and just with, you know, the way, I mean, because what, from what I was reading that they actually built full, not a mannequin, but like, Latex, like a, yeah, like a, a like a cadaver of them to like, it's none of that is CGI. It's all none CGI. Yeah. And they even have like these things in their faces to make them twitch. So like they said, a lot of the crew was even like freaked out for how realistic they looked. And I think for the time it looked yeah. pretty good. I mean, watching it now, I mean, you can pick it apart to death but I think at the time I mean like I said all the action was good I wasn't really familiar with John Woo at the time but I mean I can see all the Wooisms in it now Um, but yeah for you know being you know early teens uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed it for an action movie so I I liked it cool Uh, Muggs what about your experience with this movie my grandparents had a place out in San Diego and we would always do quick vacations for a long weekend and whatnot and we'd do beaches and all that stuff but then at the end of the night the adults would always go inside the living room to watch an R-rated movie, which we were never allowed. Well, at this time, I think if you're 11, I must have been 14. I haven't done the math yet, but um, I think I was finally invited to the to the big boy table to watch. And I watched this movie, and it, it was it's intense for you know a young like as what we were, you know. But that was earliest that I can remember. I've watched it many times, but I think that was my first, definitely an experience I had with it. But yeah, I watched it with my my whole family and all that. But I think it was one of the first movies I got to watch, like. At the big boy table is what I call it when they used to always get together and I wasn't allowed. But yeah, that's what I did with my family out in San Diego. It's a great time. This was your rite of passage. Yeah. Cute. Uh, my experience with the movie, uh, I I don't remember the first time I saw it, but I do remember seeing, you remember like the TV Guide channel would always give you the pay-per-view commercials. I remember seeing that all the time when I was a kid. Um, I did end up watching it in like middle school or like high school on TV at some point. Um, liked it a lot. 
So like my most recent experience before this podcast though, um, Justin and I went to a live taping of How Did This Get Made? And we had to watch this movie and Con Air for like a double feature show that they were doing. It's awesome. Yeah, so, um, but if you listen to the Con Air episode, Justin is actually one of the people they ask questions to. And if you listen to the Face Off episode, like I'm on that episode as one of the people they ask questions to. Um, other than that, like I love this movie, watch it a lot, and uh, I watched it a couple days ago. So yeah, that's it. Uh, Holly, what's your experience? Um, so my experience is very much reminiscent of my other 90s Nick Cage movies. Dad rented it. Mom and dad watched it. We watched it as a family. I was eight when this came out, um, but I watched it again <laughs> last night yeah, to age you guys. Um, but I was watching it last night again, coincidentally with my parents. And at one point when they're doing the face swap, my mom goes, that's just freaky. And then my dad goes, them acting like this is a possibility is lunacy like he said it's so matter of fact and both of them ended up didn't they didn't watch it until the end they just got over it and were like no um so that was my experience with it bling what's your experience so i was trying to remember the first time i saw this film and i could not remember when i saw it so i watched it again yesterday and i did remember like certain parts like i remember the prison scene i remember the shoot off between nick cage and john travolta and i remember the ending but i didn't remember anything else so so i'm watching this film yesterday and i'm about 20 minutes in i'm like i can see why i forgot this film i mean it, it gets ridiculous so 20 minutes in and granted once the movie progressed it did get a little bit better but i recall watching it yesterday i'm just like what the hell is going on here but yeah as it progressed they get a little better you do see some of the wisms um, but yeah, that's, that's my experience with it. All right, cool. So let's get into Trash or Treasure. Jason, what is your Trash or Treasure with this movie? Okay, so I'm going to state it right now. I do like this movie, but so what I like to do is take notes while I'm watching the movie before Same, we do the yeah. podcast, um, especially for Trash and Treasure and the stuff I want to kind of research before we get on. But it was surprising to me how much trash I was writing. Yes. And the list, the list yes. started growing and growing. And I'm like, all right, Jason, do not let this affect your rating. I had to yes. like tell myself internally, okay, don't let it affect it. It'll let be all right. Let it affect it. Let okay, it affect so it. just from the beginning, the music in the beginning with the carousel, I don't know. Knowing what the movie is about, it just does not set up the movie. I feel like it goes back and forth between Travolta and the kid and like, and Nick Cage, you know, setting up his gun. And it's just like, I don't know. I don't, I don't like the music. But once Archer gets to the office, the music really changes into what you hear for the rest of the movie. And I end up enjoying the music after that. Nick Cage smoking around a bomb. I, I don't know. Nick like, Cage smoking without a face. Let's. <laughs> Holly. That was my next point. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I had two question marks about the smoking, yes. Yeah, but then smoking without a face, and I'm just like, okay, like, smoke, you know, whatever, but, like, it's just kind of weird timing for him to do that. What else? Uh, why did Pollux book the plane under his own real name? Like, why couldn't he have, like, used one of the henchmen to do it or use a fake name? It's just like, you know, like, the police are after you, the FBI, you know, archers on your ass. Like, why would you, I don't know. All right, I like the shootout at the Victorville Airport. But there are two distinct scenes. They're real quick cuts, but you can see wires uh, off of some of the act. Actually, one actor in particular. You see him run up, and you can see the wire hanging off of him. And then once Nick Cage turns around to shoot him, it pulls him back. And it pulls him yeah. back, and it's just, and you see him like land in the boxes. I'm just like, you couldn't have done. And, and again, we were talking about how John Woo likes to do one take, and he should have done a second take there and figured that out. Like even even like 96, 97, like they could rotoscope that shit out. I don't know how nobody picked up on that. It is so bad. Yeah. It's so bad. I mean, we're all going to say this, but the face washing is oh. just, it's just, it creeps me out 
to the in all caps under my trash. Same. Yeah, I mean, it almost like would deduct a rating for me for this movie, like from a ten to a five for it, just because of the. I hate it. Uh, what else? Side note: I used to have a friend that whenever they got drunk, they would do that and like swipe your face, and I would like actively like move my face away. It's I'm, it's and the just worst. Point this out. Kerwin greeted us all today by doing that. Yeah, he was like, no, because I was I was like, hey, and then he like he's like, hey, you're. You like come say hi, and I was like, okay. So I like walk up to him, and he swipes my face. I was like, yeah. you little shit. You just turning away is pretty passive. I would have been probably violent if that would have happened to me. Um, he face swiped you, and you weren't violent. I watched it. I was sober. Um, <laughs> I was too. I just got out of my car. Um, it makes for the scene, but I don't know why there's live ammo at the prison. I feel like typically in prisons they don't have live ammo. Maybe out in a like around the prison, like in like high tower type areas, but inside. But I mean, you have to have it for the movie. This one kind of bugs me. And we already kind of talked about the disconnect with the family, especially between Eve and um, Sean Archer. But so at the very end of the movie, the family doesn't go to the hospital to greet Archer after surgery. Yeah, they brought that up too. <laughs> yeah, they're just but at home. They're just not going to go see if yeah, he's okay. Just yeah. they're like, get a taxi, bro. Like, they don't get a phone call and that what, he's on his way. And what like... makes it worse is they look surprised when he comes home. <laughs> no, like, she looks joyful that like he's she's home. She's like, oh, I got to pay these bills. And like, the girl's probably like in the back listening to music, smoking cigarettes. And then like, <laughs> she come, and then they come, and they're like, oh, you're home? What the heck? And it's like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, did the whole movie just not take place? Like, I, I really didn't like that. Um, and then the last part of my trash is, I know this is added at the end because I, I think they did test audiences with the original script and they didn't like the way that it ended. So what they did was they had John, or sorry, Sean Archer adopt Caster Troy's son. But the way they do it's just kind of weird. Like they went through this whole ordeal um, he just got his face back. Like this murder has been after them in their home, all this stuff, like the one that killed his original son or his son. Um, but he brings his son, the son of his son's murderer home and asks <laughs> Eve if it's okay. And all she does is just, yeah, it's fine. Adam and Eve. Yeah. And that, and that's the discussion. Yeah. Like that's the discussion. So not only did the family not go to like see him at the hospital, they're completely surprised. Not even prepared for him to come home. Like, they didn't invite like a family member over or like there's no little party, like welcome home, like nothing like that. And then they, he shows up with the, his son's murderer's son and just everything's just like, oh yeah, sure. You know, it's like, can we keep him? Take- his son's murderer also banged his wife. So yeah, I mean, it like- just, there's lots of levels of this and I just feel like that is just like, they added at the end, I think, and I guess from what they said, like test audiences really rant and raved about this end scene. I'm just like, I don't see it. I feel like we're all the daughter when she goes, can you tell me what planet we're on? Like right now, because it's like, <laughs> yeah. as we're talking about yeah. it, it's like, what the hell? You like know? there's so much paperwork involved. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, both parents have to sign to adopt a child. Yeah. Like yeah. I just, I felt like it was rushed and it's just does it he, wasn't well thought out so does he actually ask if they or does he just shrug his shoulders like are you okay with this it's, I mean, it's kind of like this like are, are you okay and she's like, like he doesn't even ask and she's yeah. like they have like, those decision making to do of all time and they just do it through like gestures I kind of feel like I kind of feel like this is how you bring like a dog home <laughs> like this is is this up. okay yeah, yeah. nod <laughs> it's like they all wanted Del Taco he brings back Taco Bell it's like it's okay <laughs> yeah it's fine it's like no no <laughs> family meeting something um, but that's that's my trash, and then my treasure. I'll, I'll try to make it, you know, a little more quickly. Um, Nick Cage with the mustache in the beginning. I thought that was a good look for Nick Cage personally. He, he looks like a creep. No, okay, so I said he looks like like a. 
cowboy villain from like a silent movie. I literally said that out loud to my parents. I was like, he looks like a villain from a silent movie. My mom goes, yes, like he does. Oh, can I tell you why he has a mustache? Yeah, I think I read this, but what was it again? Yeah, so halfway through the killer, John Woo's movie, um, the main character, Chow Yun-Fat, like he's like killing, he's like on a boat and he's like sniping somebody who's like, um, like giving a presentation or whatever, or like at a ceremony. He has the mustache, he also has the cigarette, all that other shit, and he kills the dude the same way that uh, uh, Nick Cage does to uh, John Travolta's kid. Does he also oh. sip a soda very seductively? <laughs> no. Damn it. Okay, well, I liked it. Um, I, I, I like that, uh, I forget his, Tommy Flanagan, or I forget his name, but Chibs from Sons of Anarchy mm-hmm. is a henchman for Caster Troy, so I like that. Nick Cage's physique, I think we got to touch on that. <laughs> I think he's pretty cut up for this. I mean, all the action scenes, so the prison action scene, the escape scene from the prison, you know, all the different gunfights. The boots were interesting at the prison, too. I, I kind of like them, but I also read that it, they're the exact same boots that the Goombas use wore <laughs> in, in Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> I read that. So it's the same exact boot. Same ones, yeah. I went back and forth to this one. I kind of like Pollux Troy. I think it brings a weird element to the movie, like his mannerisms and stuff. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like if they would have had like a twin of Nick Cage, like someone that's kind of like a badass and stuff like that, the movie wouldn't have worked as well. But having him so like kind of eccentric and, you know, it uh, seems like really like the brains of some of it. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it, and it's weird, but I kind of feel like it breaks up the movie a little bit. All this, all the wooism of the slow motion sequences at the airport, the prison, all the fight scenes, um, the boat chase I liked a lot. And then I'll, I'll end it with this. I mean, I, I enjoy the movie, but I just thought this part was funny. Uh, the end credit song by NXS is called Don't Lose Your Head. I just feel like it's, it's very close to like, like the face thing. I don't know. I just thought it was a weird song to play at the end of the movie. <laughs> just the title. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's my trash and treasure, guys. Hopefully, I didn't steal all your guys's. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Muggett, what's your trash and treasure? I, I have a lot of same of Jason as trashes. Um, one thing I want to go, and I want to see your thoughts because then I'll decide if it's a trash. The first part where he tries to kill Sean Archer and obviously ends up hurting him, but killing his son. Why couldn't he just do one more shot? I mean, he just like laid there like defenseless. Like there would be no movie, but you could have just done what you're, but instead, or does he really want him to be alive and have this? I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, well, later in the movie, he does say like, I meant to kill you or whatever, yeah. you know, your son, but it's just like, if he meant to kill him, like, you already killed his kid, just yeah. kill him too. Like, so, shit. so yeah, I mean, but other than that, yeah, Jason, the wires, all that stuff. Um, if you watch um, on YouTube, everything wrong with uh, Face Off, they, they claim the whole airport scene is Fast and Furious like, and I'm like, it is, <laughs> yes, you know what yeah. I mean? And I don't really like that. Um, the blood type, how they can make it look, exa- but the blood type you can't change. Now you realize at the end that the blood type is how Eve can, you know, determine that it's not her husband or it is. But um, the boat chase scene, you really like that? I thought that was just so over the top, unnecessary. And when you see the aerial shots, it's the stunt doubles. Like they don't look like anything. Yes, yes. yes. And I'm just like, stunt double does, has like long hair. Yeah, and then like the one where the boat like is a ramp off the other ramp boat and it's exploding, but nothing happens. Whatever you know, yeah. but. 1997. You I gotta get put it, yourself it, in 1997. But you know, I, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, again, like you're saying, when I just had to sit there and watch it, I'm literally nitpicking like everything, yeah. you know, because this is gonna carry into my 
my treasures. I, I think I have to start out with the poster. I think it's one of the best movie posters. The U.S. one, the black background, the half face, the half face. I thought that was great. Um, I thought the face removal scene, when I looked into it, how they don't have any CGI, that the latex bodies of Nick Cage, and I even like was watching like a little clip on it. It's really creepy how real it looks, you know? I didn't know that they put things in to make it twitch, you know? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, use animatronics. But I think that's twitch, very, yeah. very impressive. Um, the mirror scene, you know, where they're at, the somewhere over the rainbow, you know? Yeah. And then they're, they're about to fight each other and they, but the mirror, I don't know. I thought that was like the coolest thing in the world. So you brought it up, but the somewhere over the rainbow, it's obviously not the Judy Garland edition. No. Who do you think sings that? Olivia Newton-John. Olivia Newton-John. We got a little Grease reference. There you go. And I think overall, this is very broad, but I think the script and the story with those two guys, how they both have to play the good guy and the bad guy at one point. I mean, I got to give credit to these two actors. This is my ultimate though. Like, cause when I watched this, I was young, this is my ultimate treasure. Um, the scene where Sean Archer, you know, has succeeded in finding out where the bomb is. And all of a sudden John Travolta or AKA, you know, Castro Troy comes in and explains why he's to the ground cemented with those boots, you know, Hey, Hey, everyone's dead that did this. I'm now you, you're in here for the next, what, what do you say? hundred years or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, I get this empty feeling like this guy is screwed. Like his whole life. Like, like I just, it really gives me the chills, like the editing it's surrounding it. It does like little clips of they're burning, you know? And I'm just like, you get this feeling like, dude, Nick Cage is in the worst situation known to man, you know, like, like you're the good guy and you're doing this and now you're just in this prison, you know? And And then when they show Paul Troy walk out and he's like, he's he's like, I'm Sean Archer. And then he just like bats him down. And And I I, I just, I still get like, I I don't know. I really love that scene. Um, And this has, I mean, it's kind of, I have like an outlier treasure, the connection with MI2 and face off to this, the slow motion, the white doves, the church and like the sand, you know, fight scene at the end. I, I just, I really dug it. But no, overall, I really do like this movie. I mean, I'll watch it again, but I don't know that one scene where he's explaining, Hey, the tables have turned. I just, it's, I I mean, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it, but, but yeah, that's my treasure. Uh, so my trash with this movie, uh, I mean, why didn't you aim for like the heart? Like you aimed on the right side of his body, like aim a little more to the left. I don't understand. Um, what's up with all the people just standing around after the little boy gets killed? Like you just see people yeah. like standing around and there's people still on the carousel. The one guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, what the fuck? Um, the score, we were talking about that, Jay, like it's, it gets like super dramatic and like melodramatic and then other points it's, it's just right. And then it gets a little too dramatic at times and you're like, we get it. You're trying to make us feel and there's emotion and all that other shit. And I kind of feel like a lot of things are really overt in this movie, uh, especially when you get down to the whole like duality, identity type thing, like all the way down to the way the names are in the fucking, um, like in the font during the opening credits, like they're split black and white. Like it's that obvious, the face touching, the face waterfalls, uh, I guess I call them. I don't know, that's what I call them. I'm surprised that's not your treasure. Uh, that's one thing I'm not cool with, uh, despite doing it to you guys today. Um, great. I'm so glad. Yeah. We got like what? Eight face waterfalls. He does it to his son right before he gets shot. He does it when he tells his wife that he caught Caster Troy. He does it to his wife after he tells her he's going back on assignment. He does it to, uh, the little boy, Adam, when he touches him, then he has like a psychic flashback to like his dead son. It's like some X-Men type shit. And then uh, when he meets Eve at the hospital, he does he, he does a face waterfall to her, and the look on her face it like switches, and she's like, "Oh my god, this is my husband!" Because no other fucking idiot does face, face waterfalls. Like I haven't been face waterfalled in two weeks. This guy has to be my husband. I don't fucking get it. And then 
he's about to face Waterfall Sasha before the funeral, but he like stops <laughs> and he says like, you'll never have to worry about Sean Archer again. And I'm just like, okay, that, I, whatever she did anyway. But, um, and then like when Archer comes home, uh, and his daughter apologizes for shooting him. He like face waterfalls her, and then his daughter face waterfalls Adam, when, like the little boy when he gets <laughs> home. Cycle of abuse <laughs> continues. Yeah, like, like, you've been indoctrinated into this like on a generation face generation. face waterfall cult that they're in. I got a lot of trash, so I'm gonna I'm try to keep it keep it clean. Um, Caster Troy's a pedophile. Not cool with that, even though I love the character. I feel bad for uh, Agent Winters who dies at the beginning. Like when they throw her out of that plane, it looks brutal. Like yeah. it's like it's like too brutal. I was just like, damn, that's rough. The runway scene, like you said, it's like so fucking long. Like how long does it take to to get off the tarmac? John Travolta can stop a Jeep or a Hummer or whatever, hop out, get into a helicopter that's just landed, start up the helicopter again catch up to a speeding plane and land on the wing like that's how much time he had like on that tarmac and that's halfway through the altercation like this plane's already at top speed i don't i don't understand um like you don't recognize your man's like dick is different did they yeah. do like a dick they talked about that <laughs> like, yeah. they don't do like a dick transplant like i don't i don't understand it, 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 like the strokes different like he's hitting it from yeah. the side like i don't understand like he's <laughs> just I mean, look, it's just like, clearly they fucked. She even said it. Yeah. It's like, you didn't notice. You can't see this. Mug is covering his face. My <laughs> mouth is wide open. Jason looks uncomfortable. It's blingling in the roof because he's uncomfortable. Bling's yeah. uncomfortable. Um, but I'm saying it. Also, like, why not just use Mission Impossible masks? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, a thing that's more of a trope in movies in general, like, the prison in the middle of the ocean or right off the coast of fucking Manhattan Beach or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you have... um. <laughs> What's up with all these like female uh, significant others in movies? And it's no fault of the actors themselves, but it's usually the writers or directors. It's just like every female um, significant other can't accept the fact that they're dating or married to somebody who's in law enforcement and they have to go out and like put their lives on the line. And I'm just like, they knew what they were getting into. Why do you guys keep writing shit this way? Like we saw it in uh, The Rock where like homeboy's girl is just like, you can't leave. I fucking hate you. And it's just like, no, there, there's a bomb in San Francisco. Like they're going to kill everybody. Like I have to go like, like give me a fucking break. And you know, not a fault of the ladies, but that's just the uh, writing thing that I can't let go. The ass shot. I don't, I don't understand. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was weird. yeah I, I didn't like when Dubov died. I felt bad for your boy. Like he helped him escape. That was fucked up. The FBI is kind of reckless. They really are because uh, when they drop in on Castor Troy's um, spot, they shoot up the place kill a couple people and then they drop in on ropes and one guy's like he's like we have a warrant for your arrest and I'm like you don't lead with that shit like, I don't I don't fucking understand um but I mean that's that's most of my trash my biggest thing is just like a lot of people are gonna need therapy after this movie oh, yeah. like that's that's the biggest thing like way to replace your dead kid man not cool mm-hmm. uh, Treasure Nick Cage is Castor Troy pretty much when either of the two are playing Castor Troy yeah. they're yeah. great but I think Nick Cage is just better overall. Like he's a villain that does shit. Like he gets shit done. I love how he's just like busting it down in front of the choir <laughs> yeah. At, yeah. at LA Convention Center. And I'm just like, what? What the fuck? It's my new favorite meme. And uh, his O face when he grabs ass. I don't. He grabs a lot of ass in this. Um, I love his like jewelry, his golden guns, how eccentric he is, how wild he is. I feel like Travolta when he's Castor Troy, he's like a Batman villain. He's literally like Jim Carrey from Batman Forever. I feel like most of this movie. The face-off thing where they're talking like we're going to take his face off. I love it. But yeah, I love the whole thing. I love the action. Everything's cool. And then I do have like one last thing that's kind of a trash. 
at one point, John Travolta is like, you want me to, uh, you want me to go dark. You want me to, you know, betray the ones I love, put them in the dark and lie to everybody that puts their trust in me so I can put on this criminal's face. And like he pauses for like five seconds and he's just like, yeah, I'll do it. And then, <laughs> and then that's how the movie goes. But anything I didn't mention is treasure in this movie because I love it so much. Holly, what's your trash or treasure? Okay, so you guys hit on most of my trash, but there's there's a lengthy little list here that I have over here. Face waterfalls, face swiping, face touching in general. I think we should go with face waterfall. That feels. I think that's the most that's, graphic that's and the it, most yeah. artistic of what it actually is. Um, so yeah, if anybody tries to face waterfall me, they'll get a solid face hit back. I am going to kind of elaborate on what you touched on, Kerwin. I felt like I put under trash John Travolta because I felt like... I felt like, okay, and the reason why I say that is because I don't feel like he did a good enough job establishing who Sean Archer was in the beginning. Like, he didn't mm, give okay, him, Archer, yeah. he didn't give him, like, specific mannerisms. He didn't give him a specific, like, I just wrote down Sean Archer is a bitch boy. Really? And so, yeah. I just, but I don't feel like he had, like, isms. When they were showing him as, like, an FBI agent, he was just kind of a dick. Like, he was just, like, you know, he was thinking about the ones that he lost as opposed to celebrating the win. Like, he didn't really have, like, clear-cut that part character. where they give him the the bottle of champagne the Dom, or the wine, yeah. you didn't you didn't like. Think no, he's that just that, an asshole. Like, well, because it wasn't, I think what he's saying is like, yeah, we did this, but how many people lost their lives? I mean, no, no, no I I, under, okay. I understand the thing, but I'm just saying like, as far as developing the character and developing like Sean Archer isms, I don't feel like he was as successful. But John Travolta playing Caster Troy, I feel like it was a lot easier for John Travolta. But I feel like it was John Travolta playing Nick Cage playing Castor Troy. Got it. Yeah. So like sometimes I got like Jim Carrey things like when he was talking about disarming the bomb and he's like interception it was like almost like Jim Carrey. Yeah. Like it was really that weird was really like it was cheesy. like out of yeah. character and I was just like that's that wasn't really Castor Troy. Like Castor Troy was like a psychopath but it was just like he I feel like Nick Cage did a really good job of defining who Castor Troy was in the beginning but John Travolta did not do a good job establishing who Sean Archer was so I feel like there were scenes where like Nick Cage would be playing Sean Archer and I'm like I don't know where he's gonna go with this whereas I know when John Travolta is playing Castor Troy it's gonna go one way because that character was developed um, the prison break scene I wrote down when he was doing like the system override and he was just literally slamming on the keyboard. He's hitting numbers. He's hitting like everything. I was like, okay, like typical nineties, this guy's going to come in and disarm an entire federal prison system, but just by slamming on the keyboard boat chase. I thought that that was unnecessary. And it got to the point in my notes where I was like, boat chase, why the fuck not? Um, it didn't need to be done. I feel like if they were going to do a boat chase is when he was escaping from prison and he was actually in a body of water, like that would have made more sense. But at the end when he's like barefoot skiing and it just kind of yeah. kept going, it's like a two hour and 18 minute movie and you could have eliminated that whole boat scene. Mm -hmm. Eve's reaction to Castor being in her home. I know that if the man that killed my child was in my home, I wouldn't not scream or not have a reaction. So I felt like that was weird. Um, and then I thought Sasha as a character in general, there's, she has really weird scenes. Like at one point I was rooting for her and then in the next scene she was incestual and she saved one of the girls while her child is sitting in the middle of a dance floor and she's like, save my kid to like Castor Troy who just found out the paternity five minutes before. Um, so I, I don't know, I felt like she had a cheap ending but I also feel like she had cheap character development. And then my final trash was was Nick Cage yelling, like, die at the end. Like, he said it <laughs> twice in the movie, and it was just both at inopportune times where he's, like, strangling him, and he's like, die. And then at the end, it was, like, after he shot the harpoon gun, he yelled, die, very dramatically. Um, but that's it for my trash. 
Treasure, I would say Nick Cage, him establishing Castro Troy as a character, creating mannerisms. I wrote down the gold guns because those were awesome. And I also wrote down the priest dancing scene because I laughed out loud and watched it again. That was creepy. It was <laughs> hilarious. Like him. His face, if you pause it, oh, it's weird. No, when he's grabbing the ass for sure. Yeah. But I'm saying when he drops down and like twerks yeah. it, like <laughs> it is amazing, like for no reason. But that's just who Castro Troy is. He's, he's crazy. He's balls to walls. And then his isms of like, I could eat peach for hours. The tongue sucking scene. Mm-hmm. Probably my favorite scene of this whole movie is when John Travolta walks into the prison. Like well, you mentioned it, when he's like magnetic down in the boots, and then they see each other, and then you can see in Nick Cage's eyes, like holy shit, you're supposed to be in a coma. Like what's going on? And then you can kind of see the dynamic shift, the tables turn. That was like my favorite scene of the whole movie. And then I also wrote down another treasure was just the high key body shaming that they did to each other. It was like, (laughs) we're going to get rid of your love handles. We're going to recede your hairline. We're going to give you a funny chin. Like now I'm no longer, now I'm the best looking one in this family. Like I felt like it was really funny because they just like body shamed the shit out of each other. But yeah, that's it. All right, Bling, what, uh, what's your trash or treasure? So you guys hit a lot of the trash, the same trash and treasures, but I think, yeah, Caster Troy, uh, the character played uh, both by um, Nick Cage and John Travolta. So Nick Cage kind of sets the tone for what this character is. He's a deviant. He's very sexualized. I mean, he's got the weird smile. He's almost like, this guy's nuts. And then when John Travolta takes over, he kind of follows the same mannerisms that was established by Nick Cage. It does get weird at a few points because, you know, he's like humping this church choir girl. And then and, and at one point when John Travolta takes over as Caster Troy and he goes into Sean Archer's home and he's eyeing his daughter, I'm like, this is, this is going to get weird. Where are they going to head with this? And so I'm glad he didn't go there, but it felt like they were going to go there. And I was like, please don't. Aside from that, uh, other treasures, I, I did like the action. Some scenes more than others. I did like the first fight scene in the prison where Nick Cage is establishing that he really is Caster Troy and he, he just starts beating everybody up. I thought that was a great scene. I also liked the scene at the church. Um, I thought that whole standoff scene between all the villains. Uh, what Nick about the, the Jesus Christ pose too? Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I really like that scene. Aside from that, I mean, you guys touched on a lot of things. The stuff that I thought were trash when they're trying to recreate Caster Troy's voice and he has to, hey, speak into the mic and he says... The words they have to use to to kind of get his voice right is, I can eat a peach for hours. Like, you couldn't just say, like, just talk normal, say something else. They have to use that line so that they can recreate Caster Troy's voice. Um, I'm a gun owner, so I, I notice when they make mistakes with, you know, guns, like a gun that you just shot, if you press it against someone's head, it's going to burn. Uh, you can't do that. Uh, likewise, in the prison scene where he's got to grab the gun by the barrel, I'm like, you just shot that gun. That barrel's hot. You would drop it if you follow laws of you know, being you know, a real gun. The other big trash is just the woo-isms. I mean, there's a lot of them. The doves, the slow motion. You don't like it? You don't like that shit? <sighs> no, the I don't The one I didn't does. like is he does two types of slow motion. He does a regular slow motion, and then he does this like low-frame stutter slow motion. Which oh, is, like when he hands <laughs> the floppy disk over? Yeah, yeah. And the thing about that is... It was excessive. There's some scenes where it's like, why are they even using this? It doesn't add any dramatic effect. It's just, he just does it. And like I said, it, it was on top of just the regular slow motion scenes. I'm like, okay, we get it. You know, it's your trademark style, but don't use it excessively. It's, it was just, it was unbearing. I noticed the two Mugga with the, the stunt doubles. There are some scenes where like, 
And I was really like, why are they using a stunt double for this scene? It, it's nothing too like extraneous. Why are they using? And you could tell that it was a stunt double. So when he gets out of the prison, and he's on top of the rig. He's jumping like, oh, I think, yeah. yeah, I noticed it right away. Like, okay. Um, the, the boat, the, the boat boats. at the end. When it the crashed. boat at the end yeah. when both of them are flying off. Yeah. You know, that beach, as well. yeah, yeah, that I saw that oh, one yeah. as well. Yeah, I just, I don't know what to say about this film. I, I, like I said, I liked it, but just a lot of the things broke the laws of common sense. Like I said, your point, like, do we really need to take my face off? Uh, we can't just use a mask. We, we we can't keep it very simple. No, just evacuate LA until we find. I mean, I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, we don't have like bomb sniffing dogs, <laughs> like a bomb squad to go around the city. Like. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even the shootouts. You're like, okay, if you're gonna go into a scene and you know there's gonna be a shootout, like, why isn't everyone wearing body armor? You know, tactical gear. Like, everyone's just kind of coming in and just they're just dying because, like, yeah. okay, came in planes clothes and we're gonna shoot up people. So, but yeah, that's it. Um, before we get to ticket prices, there there is like one thing I do want to bring up. Why is Sean Archer's face just chilling in a glowing <laughs> case outside of the hospital room where Caster Troy is, right? And why do they need to keep that motherfucker alive? Because according to uh, one of the directors, like he's a turnip, he's in a vegetative state or in, he's in a coma, right? right? So it's just like, just take him off life support or move him elsewhere where he has armed guards. Like, why is he... Five feet away from guards. the why, why is there no one There's there monitoring the facility? No. And, he, and yeah. he gets to a telephone and yeah. he manages to call people that bring the doctor over, the only doctor supposedly that could perform this procedure, and then at the very end, another doctor shows up. Yeah. And, and then yeah. the other thing is, it's just like, Archer is just like, you know that scar I used to have? I don't need it anymore. And I'm like, wrong doctor, bro. Like, yeah. that motherfucker's dead. Like, they, they purposely <laughs> defy the rules of logic just to make the plot move well, along. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Can I bring up one more thing before we move on on yeah. the trash or treasure? I stayed away from it because I thought, but no one, none of us did. The somewhere over the rainbow scene. Is that trash. a trash or a treasure? No one, I, I just, I wanted to stay away from it. I wanted to see there what you guys thought. so much trash in this movie I that see. it yeah, just didn't even, was. I, was, I, was, I, I thought I was going to let one of you guys take it, but no one, no one did it trash. like me. No, I think, I think you're right. Yeah, it, it was. It was really weird. It was weird, yes. It, it came out of nowhere. Weird. Yeah. It came out of yeah. nowhere. And it, and it wasn't done well. I get what he was trying to do, yeah. but it was not done well okay. and it did not fit in the movie. I well, mean, but I mean, at this point, I mean, you get this kind of campy feel for the film. So when this came along, I'm like, this is not yeah. weirder than anything else I've seen in the last hour. So, yeah. I think what makes that scene <laughs> not work is the fact that it cuts in and out of the song. Yeah. It's just like, just play the whole song over the whole scene. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's how that's how you do it. Didn't John Woo push for this to be in the yeah. movie, too? Yeah. Because yes. it reminded him of, uh, he used to watch Wizard of Oz all the time growing up to kind of like be his escape from like his terrible neighborhood or something like that. That's why he put it in because it was supposed to be Puff the Magic Dragon at first. <laughs> <laughs> shout out, shout out to uh, the Fockers. Um, but like it was supposed to be Puff the Magic Dragon. And then uh, at the last minute, I think he switched it to Somewhere Over the Rainbow because of what that song meant to him as, as a kid, I guess. I get it now, with, you know, with the kid being in that hostile environment, you know. But, yeah. you know. but I heard they had to, like, move production along. So, like, he literally had, like, one day. And they're like, you're never going to make this happen. And somehow he pulled it off just to get that song. I'm like, that's yeah. a lot to do just to get this ridiculous song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I have another hypothetical question that I was kind of mulling over on the way here is that why did they only tell a certain amount of people that they were doing this? 
Tell like, one guard at the prison. That's tell what the I'm warden. Saying. You could yeah. have spared so many Fuck. like police deaths if you just like. I understand it needing to be top secret because word got out it was an informant in Castro Troy's body. I understand that. That point's not lost on me. But why was it only three people that knew about this operation? Well, I mean, one because they were breaking the law because like they didn't get approval. But I totally agree with you. I think it's fucking stupid. Like tell somebody at the fucking prison. Tell right. one person. Yeah. But it's just like nobody, nobody fucking knows. And right, and really, like you managed to kidnap all three or four people that knew about this and burn them alive. And well, there was like nurses assistants. I'm like, can we get one of those people in here? Yeah, like, there's more than get... one doctor in that surgery. Yeah. yeah. And the only way it came to light is Eve was able to convince government officials that Caster Troy was really his husband. No, so. she said, I need to speak. Like she said, hi, Wanda. I need, I need to tell you something. And I'm like, who the fuck's Wanda? And then I, I had Wanda's to watch. It right? is, but they never really did a good job of establishing that because I literally wrote down who the fuck is Wanda? Okay, so I was frustrated at this point. I'm sorry. Like it was after the boat scene. Like okay, I'm so interested at, in your ticket price at uh, <laughs> at Lazaro's funeral, right? So like Eve is calling, and like people are like, "We need backup. We need backup." And I'm like, "You are at an FBI funeral, right? All your backup is here. Like yes. they are." in the next room like all the FBI officers are in the next room just have them fucking come out like right. have them come out did you guys know the, the reason they chose those blood types right A, they're and o diametrically pop. opposed correct well also and I was reading in this as well the opposite like so Sean Archer this is where it gets very very in the weeds yeah. but Sean Archer it's like supposed to be a Sagittarius you know the exact opposite to a Sagittarius Gemini. Gemini, the two brothers. And so it's just like, there's supposed to be all these little film tropes. And then, uh, was it Castor and Pollux are like the two major stars in the Gemini system? Right. Yeah. yeah. This movie's deep. I love it. Yeah. Can I can I just say one thing and see how you guys feel about this? This yeah. is according to Wikipedia, and I want to read this exactly what it says. It says, Face Off is said to have inspired Infernal Affairs. However, Infernal Affairs director... Andrew Lau, I think that's how you say it, wanted to have a more realistic situation instead of a physical face change. Lau wanted to have the characters swap identities, the concept of Bayan Lang or change face, a technique traditionally used in Chinese opera, may have been used here to depict the fluid and seamless morph of Chen and Lau's characters' identities between the good and the bad sides. Now you're probably like, why are you saying this? Infernal Affairs, in turn, has spawned several adaptations, notably The Departed, directed by Martin wow. Scorsese. Yeah. And now you like watch The Departed, and you're like, okay, I get it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I thought that was like a really interesting. That's what I read on Wikipedia. I'm surprised you didn't bring that up, but yeah. but I thought that was really interesting. So like, this movie created a domino effect, and that's why we have The Departed, which won you know the Academy Award for Best Picture. I thought that was kind of interesting. No know, wonder so. I like The Departed so much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it's based off like a really cool movie <laughs> that's inspired by this movie. Um. I I like how they kind of introduced some of this tech, like the 3D printing. I mean, this came out yeah. in 1997, so I mean, 3D printing, I don't think it was even like a realistic thing quite yet. Right. Um, one other th fun fact is in 1997, someone actually blew off their face, and the first face transplant actually took place in 2012. Oh, wow. Yeah. Going back to your started. original question, who would you guys switch? Oh, who'd I put in? Yeah. Who what what two actors I want to oppose each other? Yeah. Switch both of them or just one of them? No, but like the two actors that you wanted to oppose. I said at the end of this we'd revisit it. I made a note. Mm, Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a great movie. Have you ever thought that went through? Man, that's that's tough, man. We don't have a lot of like action stars and shit. Like like raw action stars nowadays. I mean, everybody does action now, but see, I thought it through like good dramatic mm. performance. 
I don't want to go I, first because I'm nervous. Honestly, I think like the Pacino, De Niro would have worked. Oh, you're going to say Tom Hanks and no. Gary Sinise, aren't no, you? No, I wish. Who is, uh, who is the woman from, uh, guys? Oh, I, you're going to take it female. Who, who, what is her name from Terminator? Um, Linda Hamilton? Linda Hamilton, yeah, Hamilton. and Jodie Foster. Ooh. I might do that. Yeah. This is in 97, right? No, you could do it now or... 97. I like that 97 female angle. That's a good question. I don't know. I, I would take two actresses that already look the same, like Jessica Chastain and Amy Adams. <laughs> you don't even have to she be. She looks a like Bryce Dallas Howard. <laughs> she doesn't look like Amy Adams. So I said Christian Bale and Ryan Reynolds because yeah. I feel like the dramatic actor with like a little bit of action. Because like the part that I didn't believe. Okay, was hold like, on. Christian Bale and Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Who is who then? So Christian. I think Bale, Ryan Reynolds would have to be Castor Troy at the yes, start. Okay. Yes. Yes. Just to I would establish love that to character. see Christian Bale like you know be Archer, then be yes. Castor Troy. I'd love to I'm see saying. his turn. Yeah, it would be, It'd be like him in American Psycho. <laughs> he loves Phil Collins, and I do love that movie for the fact that he loves Phil Collins so hard. But that's where it ends. But I think I think both of them would do a really good job because Ryan Reynolds is a little bit charismatic, whereas like Christian Bale could play charismatic and dramatic. Mm. Jay, nothing. Uh, that's a tough one. I mean, I know the Arnold Sylvester Stallone that would not work. Um, at all. Could you imagine um, Stallone doing his accent? Yeah, that'd be bad. Um, maybe, a, I mean, maybe a Stallone and a Jean-Claude Van Damme might, might work, mm -hmm. but I, I, I just don't can't see them being like silly. Like it's a little no, bit God, silly, no. like no. Castor Troy's character. Yeah. I just keep looking at this list of the potential people that they were talking about. And the only one I can kind of come up with, and this is like a huge stretch. Just so I think about Harrison Ford and what was it like the fugitive He's on Air Force One too. Air Force yeah. One. There's a couple of those movies, and then maybe like I think about like a Die Hard Bruce Willis. I don't know. That I mean when I'm looking at this list, that's the only two on this list. I kept hyper focusing on this, so I wasn't really thinking outside the box. But those are the two of maybe outside of the the Sly and Van Damme one. I put like '90s Brendan Fraser in this movie. Oh my gosh! Oh. Yes. I could see Brendan Fraser. Probably sure. I, I would put I put <laughs> I would put Wesley Snipes in here too, but I don't know who I'd put him against. Like, like an Omar Epps? Yeah, Omar Epps Omar and, Epps and Wesley Snipes, probably. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, put Nick Cage in this movie, and then we could get Bubba. Michael T. Williamson. Yes. <laughs> and then he'll just, he'll just die again. Yeah. All right, so let's get into our ticket prices. Jason, how much are you paying to watch Face Off? That's tough, because I think I gave The Rock a 15, and I believe I gave Con Air either a 10 or a 15. Uh, this is like tough because it holds like I'm, I kind of hold it near and dear like whenever I see it like pop up on Netflix I'm like oh shit Face Off is on Netflix or if I see it on Amazon I'm like oh shit I gotta watch this and then I typically end up do watching it but some of the, some of the CGI not CGI but just some of the acting and just some of the bullshit in it I think I'm gonna have to go 10 I think I'm gonna have to go 10 and reason being is I keep thinking about The Rock and I think I don't know why but I really do like The Rock a lot as much as you guys don't, I love the music in it, or some of you don't. Um, I like the action, I love Sean Connery, I love Nick Cage's character in it. Um, so when I'm comparing it, I think I'm gonna have to go, ugh, this might be one I might regret saying, but I'm gonna go 10, 10 on this one. Okay, uh, Mugga, what's your rating? So I'm so glad you went before me, because I'm doing the exact same thing you did. I went 15 on The Rock, and I believe I went five for Con Air, mm -hmm. and I feel like this is, you know, not rock status, you know? Yeah. But it's better than Con Air, and I gave National Treasure a 10, and I have to give this a 10 as well. I think it's right on the same same level, so I'm giving this a 10. Because I'm saying, if, if you're like on, on cable TV, and it's like TBS and TNT, and like TBS is playing The Rock, and TNT is playing Face Off, you're watching yeah. The Rock, yeah. But 
if if it's a Saturday morning and I'm waiting for something to do or whatever, and this is on TV, I'm still keeping it on. Oh yeah, stuff, okay, know? yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, for me, it's tough. I'm kind of with you guys, and I and I kind of got to look at like this Nick Cage trilogy we're looking at, yeah. which which I believe is called the Beige Volvo trilogy <laughs> in some circles because in each of these three movies, Nick Cage interacts with a beige Volvo at some point. I was looking that up online, so I guess this is part, like The Rock. Con Air in this movie are considered the Beige Volvo trilogy. He does say that in The Rock. I drive a Volvo, beige one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I guess that is a thing. But um, uh, I want to give this, like, look, I'm going to just be upfront. I wish I gave Con Air a 15. I'm going to just say it because I had the chance to change my score and I didn't because I want to give this movie a 15. I'm going 15. <laughs> I'm going nice, 15 nice. on this movie. I love this movie. Like, I fucking love it. I love this movie. $15. Holly, what about you? I gave, I think I gave Con Air 15. So I capitalized on a good movie when we watched it. And then I think I gave The Rock 10 because it made me sick and it was way too long. Um, so I think I'm going to give this one, it gets $5 alone just for the pre-scene where he's breaking it down because it's hilarious. Um, I struggled between 5 and 10, not 10 and 15. Um, but I think I'm going to have to give it 10 just because it was fun like at the end of the day when I think about it it was entertaining it didn't drag ass like The Rock did but it was just it was campy like you said bling Mm -hmm. and it got to a point where it's like as long as I gave up all the improbabilities it was entertaining so I would pay ten dollars to see it all right bling what are you paying so I was a little torn on by this because I'm actually tearing between a five and a ten and it, it's, it really comes down to, like, you know, after seeing this movie uh, yesterday, I was like, do I really want to see this film again? If it came on, or w- would I want to watch it? Mm-hmm. Wow, so, that's what you're really thinking? Like, yeah, like, it just, it, just, it just, I feel like, while some of the action scenes are good, like, some of it is just like, okay. It didn't blow your face off no, or anything? No, yeah, it, it, did, it just didn't, <laughs> it, it, it didn't really have the, the lines, the iconic lines, the dialogue, and I've just, like... I'm gonna stick with my guns. I'm gonna give it a five. I'm sorry. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, so what uh, what are we paying for this movie, Mugga? Fifty dollars divided by five. We're giving this a ten. Okay, yeah. that's cool. You gave it a fifteen. He's giving it a five. We all got ten. So ten. I, I think that's a fair. That's fair. I think yeah. it's fair. Yeah, yeah fair. ten bucks is yeah. fair. Um, one last criticism of this movie before we kind of move on. I think the scar was a missed opportunity um, in this movie because so much is focused around Sean Archer losing his son. And that's his whole motivation for being so obsessed with Caster Troy. Like, he has it removed, right? Why couldn't the fucking wife notice that the scar was removed? That should have been a scene. And that's where she got tipped off. You know how you talked Instead about... Instead of doing the yeah. blood, huh? No, no, I'm cool with the blood. Yeah. But, like, I wish, like, the night they kind of, like, have sex or whatever, she sees it gone. And that's when things start clicking for her, maybe. Right. Like, that's, like, the first... I never even thought of that. Because she even talks about it. Like, his... Like, that scar is the representation of all the shit that's been ailing him for so long and that family for so long. It's so much more significant than just a physical thing. Like, it should have played some sort of part in the movie. And for them to just kind of not address it again. The wife even brings it up. Like, you still have the scar or some shit, but it doesn't. And like they, they talk about it at the end, like you don't have to put it back or whatever. That should have had a little more significance in the movie as like a plot element. Well, I actually like super agree with you and I hadn't I hadn't heard that theory or I haven't thought about that, but it was funny because the, the things that they make points about during their transformation or their, during their switch um, 
we're brought up again. Like he was just like, the only difference that I see right now is blood type. Like you're O and you're AB. Like it was this whole, like they made these definitive statements to separate them, but they made this definitive point to like say, I want this scar back or like bringing emphasis to the scar, but they never did anything with that. And so I agree yeah. with you. I would have loved to see the wife be like, hmm. Realization, like, yeah. Yeah. Like I would have loved to see her, her notice like the difference in her husband and then like not only emotionally and like things like that, but I would have loved to see her recognize the physical difference. Yeah, like the dicks. The yeah. dicks, 100%. Yeah. The dicks. <laughs> the dicks. But that's, that's, Who's that was my this? last, uh, that was my last criticism, but. Cool. All right, Muggs, you had something you want to bring up, right? So I just, I, and I can go first. I'd love to get where you guys rank this as a Nick Cage film. I have his top 10, according to uh, Box Office Mojo, adjusted for ticket price inflation um, of where all of his top 10 grossing films rank. Um, and I can give you my top five, but does like does this movie get in your top five of Nick Cage films? See, I, I, it does for me. You can't see them, but they're shaking their heads. Some of them. I would say I would say top ten, not top five. I'm gonna start off saying this. I had to put in as a tie, uh, Face Off and Leaving Las Vegas. I feel like Leaving Las Vegas is a great movie, mm-hmm. but uh, it's very depressing. And I don't really think of that as a Nick Cage film, but he was great in it. You he know, won an Academy. No, I know. I'm saying it, yeah. I, I understand that, but Face Off. Everyone's going to hate this for National Treasure. <laughs> you know, I love that one. Um, I go number three, Gone in 60 Seconds. Ooh, that's and one, one. Of, one of his, I think, most underrated films is Lord of War. I love that one. Yeah, I think it's War, great. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, Jay and I, I love haven't The Rock. Yeah. I love The Rock. Dude. The Rock is yeah. their best. You know? Lord of War is, is yeah. my So those favorite. are my five. I don't know if you guys want to say yours. I can say what the top 10 are. Yeah, say the um, top 10. Yeah. So Face Off ranks at number four, but I'm just going to start at number 10. City of Angels, Ghost Ooh. Rider, Gone in 60 Seconds, Moonstruck, Con Air, The Croods, Face Off, National Treasure, The Rock, and then number one is National Treasure, Book of Secrets, which we'll be doing on this podcast eventually. But uh, that's coming out. Those. Yeah. This is according to you know his most successful in terms of finances, um, according to uh, Box Office Mojo. So. Like leaving Las Vegas is not on here. Lord of War is not on here. Those are my top five. I don't know if you guys want to. I mean, I agree with all the ones you said. I mean, I don't know if I've really sat down and, and thought about this. The only ones that I might add would be like Matchstick Men. Yeah, I, I think never, I've never seen that's that a movie. Nice movie. I think I that's a really that. good movie. Um, what else was I thinking of? I'm definitely not putting Con Air on there. <laughs> Oh yeah, Con Air for sure. Gone See, in 60 Seconds is my favorite yeah, I, Nick Cage I love that. movie. I love it's my movie. favorite Nick Cage movie, and I can't wait until we do it. Kick the, ass, he was great in Kick yeah, Ass. So, but I mean, he wasn't a leading role in that yeah, film, that's so that's yeah. where you could argue that. I mean, Raising Arizona too, you have to pay some respect to. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I'm, I think your, your top five is pretty, I mean. Other it's, than Con Air. Yeah, I, I mean. Does Con Air take off Face Off? And that's number five. <sighs> or in the five with those five. I mean, I'm just it, saying, Caster Troy versus Cameron Poe. Yeah, that'd be yeah. sick. No, I mean, no, 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 not like a movie. I'm just saying, like when you compare characters, like no, I think I, I'm thinking of going. Poe I was hoping for like a cinematic universe. You're hoping universe. for like a. <laughs> that's, that's, like the that's the face off we all want to see. The Nicolas Cage cinematic universe. Yeah, I like Leaving Las Vegas, but it is it's really dark. depressing. Yeah. Yeah. but it's a good movie. Yeah. Uh, me, I, I mean, I I don't think I can come up with a top five right off the top of my head, but I love Con Air. I love this movie. So, do you love Gone in sixty seconds? I do. Yes. Yeah. The The Rock. I know Holly does not like eat The Rock though. Do you like The Rock? It's it's whatever for me. Oh, you and I both. Love this. It's not that I don't like it. Like the cast is amazing. I just don't think it's, it's just, as good. It's as not as people say. Yeah. That's just that's just my opinion. Yeah. Right? I think with what they had and what they were able to come up with, like it was just Blame. underwhelming. I mean, a lot of the stuff you guys said were the same. So like. 
The Rock's probably number one. Con Air's up there Just because as well. you have an emotional attachment to The Rock. I like The Rock, so <laughs> sorry. I like Con Air. I liked um, National Treasure, so. Which I, one? Huh? Which Just one? the first one. The second one I thought was trash. Number, number two is going to be an interesting podcast. <laughs> yeah, the, the second one was trash, but I like that. Gone in 60 Seconds is great. It's really that, that fifth movie. I mean, like I said, Lord of the War, I think, was a great film. Underrated, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was a really good film. But there's, I mean, I mean, just looking even at, at Nick Cage's filmography, it was like, there's a lot of films where he wasn't, like, the lead actor, but he, like, he was in Fast Time at Richmond High. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, I mean, but... But he was, like, <laughs> that was, like, a small part, right? Yeah, that was his actually first film role, yeah. so it was very small. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I said, I think you guys said, the only one that's not in that, that top five, it would be Face Off. Really? No. You're not going to bring in Ghost Rider, huh? <laughs> uh, definitely not. No, that was a piece of shit. So what's crazy though is that we all can agree, Book of Secrets is not that good. It's his highest grossing film though. Really, even Book hi- was, higher. Than I think it was just piggybacking off of the momentum so of yeah. National Treasure. But Book of Secrets, I mean, financially did 208, 281 million, and you know The Rock did two hundred seventy three, yeah. and it just kind of declines after that. But yeah, Book of Secrets, which Kerwin, you got. I, I would love to do like a live podcast with you watching this movie because it is oh, really over the. If you didn't like the first National Treasure, you're definitely not gonna like this one. Is Riley in the second one? Oh, Riley got a bigger part. Fuck this movie. <laughs> I don't know if National Treasure makes my top five Nick Cage movies. Yeah. I, I like National Treasure. I don't, I, really think, do. I don't think it would. Hey guys, let, let me ask you a question. It's been about twenty years since Face Off has come out. So, you know, Hollywood's really, you know, bad at doing this, but do you think they could remake this film and maybe go back to its roots of being this futuristic sci-fi? Yes, they're going to take my Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> Christian Bale idea. I think they could easily do this. Yeah. I think, and Because I, I don't think it's aged well, and I think if they had a chance at it now, they could really pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want to see it, though. Yeah. I feel like they would shit the bed, personally. Shit the bed worse than this movie. <laughs> the movie is what it is. I enjoyed it for the, for when right, it came for out. Right, the entertainment yeah. aspect. Entertainment when yeah. it came out. I, I take all that into account. I think if they try to do it now, I don't know. I, I, I'd be worried that it would not go over well. Personally, that's just me though. I mean, cool. yeah, some films just. Do, I mean, the, the remakes just don't do well. Ghostbusters, Jumanji. I mean, Total Recall. I mean, a lot, Point dude. Break. I it, mean, it, like, oh, the, yeah, point it did break well, was box, awful. but it didn't rate well. <laughs> I think we should get to the more important question because I'm curious about this. Uh, okay. What question is that, Muggs? If Tom Cruise was in this movie, <laughs> I'm curious. I don't think you can take out John Travolta or Nick Cage. No, I don't... no, I have the answer. I have so, the answer. I'm going to so, say it first because you all are probably going to freaking say it, yeah. but the brother. Pollux Troy. Pollux Troy. Yeah. Yeah. That's my That's answer. That's what I was, I was going to go with that too. Yeah. yeah. I Does anyone it. think it should be one of the main guys? If I had to take one person out, if it had to be between Cage and Travolta, I would take out Travolta because I would yes. love to see Tom Cruise play the wild fucking yeah. caster yeah. truck. Yeah. I think I think he he could actually do it and yeah. not come out like Jim Carrey's Riddler. Yeah. I think yeah. he could do it. Interception. <laughs> that no, but so that was bad. was that not Jim Carrey esque? Like it I was, just got mad was. Jim Carrey vibes. Like he like looked at the thing and it was like the whole well, next I mean, snap of it all. These guys did write the mask, so it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. but I just think he was impersonating Nick Cage being Caster Troy. Caster Troy. Yeah. Cool. Anyone got anything else? I think that's it. I think that's it. And when the words of Nick Cage, I could eat a peach for hours. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of $20 Ticket. Follow us on Instagram at $20 Ticket and leave your ticket price about the movies we've reviewed. If you have any comments or suggestions, send them to $20Ticket at gmail.com. That's two zero, the numbers, $20Ticket at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts and thank you for listening. Nick Cage was in talks to star in the movie for a while, even before John Woo was hired, um, but actually turned the role down for Caster Oh, sorry.
God damn it, Kerwin, you suck at life. You don't. You're great. I know. Thank you. Uh, Nick Cage was in talks to star in the movie for a while before. Uh, fuck. Fuck everybody. Nick Cage was in talks to yeah, star in the movie before. <laughs>